Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. But now you've got Ozzy up there with Freeman in scoring position, and he unloads. Deep right field. Chop house. Here we come. First pitch out to deep right center. The 2-1 pitch. And a fly ball. Right center. Carlson has it. Wayno, seven innings against his former team. The team that drafted him. Oh, you got a hold of one. That one's going to go. Ronald Acuna Jr. had been quiet for a while. But that was career homer number 100. one nothing Atlanta. And that was all that they needed in game two of the doubleheader last night. It was a double dip in Atlanta on a Father's Day. And welcome into the Monday edition of the Danny Mac Show with BK and Tanner. Great to have you along for the next hour. It is an off day for the Cardinals. There were some of the highlights from the weekend. So the Cardinals got blown out on Friday. And that was the Albies home run that he absolutely destroyed. He had a good series over the weekend. Then Saturday, the game was rained out. So pushed back to Sunday, you had the doubleheader. Wayno goes in game one. KK was fine in game two. You had a rested bullpen. You needed offense. So Mike Shield went to his bench and the Cardinals split. So, BK, a couple of ways to look at this. I'm going to start with the uh, not so great look okay. at it. Um, and then I'll give you the good look. Okay, so what we had here, the uh, I think the prevailing thought here recently is that the offense has gone south and the numbers bear that out. Pretty simple, except for yesterday in game number one. The offense was there. Arnado Goldie, they homer for the same uh, in the same game. Uh, both guys do it for only the second time this year. So you have, though, this is the good. I'm going to condense this, not look at like the two-week period of where the offense is. I'll go just the one-week record-wise. You're four and three for the week. That's one way to look at it. So you had a sweep of the Marlins. And it wasn't an easy sweep. It was coming from behind. It was walk-off wins. It was a lack of offense, but it was very good pitching. You did not get good pitching on Friday night from Carlos Martinez. You got great pitching in game one from Adam Wainwright yesterday. He was just awesome. He was one off his career high for a game-high strikeouts in this one in just seven innings. Wound up with 11, and he was terrific. He has been at the age of 39, your stopper. You wouldn't be anywhere without him. And then uh, in game two, I thought KK was fine. Your bullpen was fine. He gave up the one home run. Winds up being the difference. So let's start with the ugly, which has been the offense. What's the good? Well, you're a game above 500 for the week. That's how I'm going to look at it going into the off day. That's fair. Okay. Um, I think that is definitely one way you could look at it. The other way is you've lost 14 of 20 now. Hey, your hey, offense I, has gone completely silent. Oh, on a Monday, yeah. just going to throw that out there. BK. 
I, I said we're not going to look at the two-week run here. I was, I was condensing this thing. Hey, I and I respect that. Okay, and thank I appreciate you. it. Um, but here, will... here's the thing. The numbers are the numbers, so go right ahead and hit me over the head because I know where it's going. Listen, the Cardinals over the last it's month fair. have been one of the four worst offenses in the sport. Yeah, um, it's been rough. And the thing that is so strange to me, Dan, is if you told me when Jack Flaherty went down, Hey, the Cardinals are going to go into a slump here and the next two to three weeks are going to be a little rough for the team. But I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. The Cardinals are without their best pitcher. It's going to be a little bit difficult for them to be able to get through this thing unscathed, especially if they don't make a move on the pitching side other than Wade LeBlanc. Like, I would have totally understood if this thing went south. The way that it has happened, though, it's what's stunning to me. The Cardinals pitching has been good, like objectively pretty darn good over the last week or so in particular. And it's the offense that's struggling. And the only guy that is missing right now offensively, because the Cardinals, out of their own volition, decided to send Justin Williams back down to AAA. They optioned him over the weekend. The only guy that's missing right now from your offense is Harrison Bader. He can't be this important. I love Harrison Bader. He's one of my favorite players. He is not the guy that is going to make this offense click. And so that, to me, Dan, is what is both both most disappointing and most worrisome. Because the Cardinals... The Cardinals pitching is going to get better. I'm totally with you. The offense, I don't know how you improve it. I don't know what can be done. We can talk about the lineup, shaking it up, all these different things. I'm in favor of it. I don't have any issues with that. I don't know that it's going to change significantly from what you've seen thus far. I don't know what they can do to make this look better offensively. Well, let's hear from Mike Shields. Should he change some things? Well, he's got to be more consistent as a group, but I'm not going to go and and go full metal jacket on a group of guys that are laying it out there as best they can. You see them in there, and, you know, these guys are hurting. If I saw indifference, saw lack of effort, as far as the lineup goes, we, we have what we have, and it's, a, it's been plenty good. So I don't know if I'm getting uh, – making sense to you about what I'm trying to articulate because I don't want to turn a blind eye to it. You win three in a row and it's like taken for granted. And two days later, it's it's what you got to do something drastically different. And I mean, we did went out and got Wade LeBlanc who came in and threw three great innings tonight and was an incremental improvement to our group, clearly from last night and tonight. So that was on Friday night and that was when the offense was really at the forefront along with a bad start again from Carl Carlos Martinez. There is no gray area, by the way, on Carlos Martinez. Six quality starts. His ERA is one five two. The other six, uh, now seven starts, ERA is through the roof. So there's no middle ground with him. Back to the offense. I've been saying this on the games and on this show. I would have no problem shaking it up in a couple of different ways. There's some incremental, minor incremental things you can do. So let's just say uh, you would maybe put... And this is no fault of Tommy Edmond, even though he was kind of going the wrong direction, but picked it up over the weekend. But I like Dylan Carlson at the top, and I'll tell you why. He can walk into a home run or two, even though he hasn't homered at home. He's got six on the year, but he's gap to gap. He's going to hit you for a little power, but he walks. I like that. Um, I like maybe because if you move Tommy Edmond down, it gives you kind of almost a secondary leadoff man and a chance after you get through the big two. By the and, way, Carlson, and highest on base percentage on the team right now. There you go. Um, so that's something easy I would do. There's also something I would do that is some managers have done this. If it got so bad, and I thought after Friday night it was pretty rough, I would have walked in and I just said, I'm shaking it up. I'm just saying, boys, 
put uh, dartboard up and I hit Goldie hitting first and Arenado's going to hit seventh and this guy I hit the my dart hit third like yeah, let's I don't see care. what happens we're just going to shake it up and have some fun no BP today I don't want you to hit the ballpark until six o'clock go out go do your thing rest up go have I mean you can do those kind of things you know flipping over the spread guys don't care about that you know what I mean you, you yeah. can yell and scream and Mike Schilt's not that kind of guy and he also does see effort you know, the effort is there. It's not like they're laying over. That hasn't um, been an issue. So that's not a problem. But here's the other thing I would have done, too. I was talking to BT about this. I would have grabbed Wade LeBlanc after that game, and I would have gone in front of some of my guys and said, you see this guy? He's flipping up 88 to 91, and he just went three scoreless. He throws strikes. Figured out. Now, part of the reason they brought in Wade LeBlanc, by the way, he's been around for 13 major league seasons. He's now eight or nine different major league teams. And the guys that I've talked to around the Cardinals, whether it be behind the scenes or in it, they say he is a awesome dude. So you bring in a number one for what you need on the field, which is someone to do what he did the other night, which is clean up innings. And most importantly, BK throw strikes. Yep. That has been his MO over the years. Starter reliever doesn't matter. He throws strikes. But I want him, along with Andrew Miller, talking to those guys out there. There is an impact that can be made when you're in a bullpen and you're a good guy and you're willing to share knowledge. That's part of what I think of what they're looking at with Wade LeBlanc. It was a good pickup. I mean, he's a guy that can come in and immediately help you get through innings. And that's one of the things that I was most concerned about, frankly, going into this stretch was, are they going to be able to cover the innings? And they have been. Sure. They've done a really good job of that. I got to give full kudos. I know there's a lot of negativity around Cardinals fandom right now, and I totally get it. It's it's deserved. But the pitching staff has done their job. They've done a great job, in fact, picking up where now the KK is back. Finally, that that looked better yesterday as well. Credit where it's due for him. Um, I, I think that the pitching staff did a darn good job while he was out and with Jack Flaherty still on the mend, and with Michaelis. We'll see when he's able to return. I continue to wonder, though, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of text today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line about the offense. And I do have a little bit of sympathy, honestly, for Mike Schilt in this respect, Dan. If you go up and down this lineup and you say to yourself, okay, they have to make changes. They have to make changes. Where are you going to go? Lane Thomas? Where? Yeah. I mean, you're going to play Lane Thomas. Do you want to watch Justin Williams play every day? I don't. And that's the thing is, okay, so we can go through this. Tommy Edmonds going to start every day. He should start every day. Dylan Carlson has, has been good for this team. Arenado and Goldie are going to be out there every day. Tyler O'Neill is having a borderline all-star season. Yadier Molina is not going to the bench. That wouldn't make any sense. Are you telling me you don't want to see Edmundo Sosa right now? Because I do. I think he deserves to be in this lineup. want to see a run with him. Yeah. The only guy that I could see, okay, you want to take him out of the lineup right now because of the way it's going is Paul DeYoung. But if you replace Paul DeYoung in the lineup, what you're saying is you want to see Lane Thomas in the lineup. And that's basically a one-for-one of nothing at the plate. So you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, I don't think that changes anything for this team. So now you look at the trade market. Okay, who are you going to go get and where are they going to play once Harrison Bader returns within the next week or two? It just becomes very difficult, Stan, for this team to make incremental upgrades the way they did with Wade LeBlanc, for instance, with the offense. Now, that's where it's tough. I'm going to go back to and I I just I'm asking listeners, I'm asking you to to hear me out on this. Um, so I went back and did some numbers. I mentioned this during the game. I know you don't miss many games, and if you do, it's only an inning or two, or you go back and watch. And I don't know if you heard me say this. So I did some numbers going back to 19. The Cardinals were about at this record in 2019. 
Matter of fact, they, they might be better right now through whatever it is, 71, 72 games. And they, they wound up going plus 18 the rest of the way. If you look at what Mike Schilt has done since he's been the manager of the Cardinals, they finish with a flourish. And that is a direct reflection many times of how your manager either saves your team in the first half of the season for a stretch run or somehow gets your team to play a different style of baseball, which he did after Mike Matheny was let go. I thought the Cardinals became extremely aggressive, made a great run, almost got in. So this is what I'm saying. Just bear with me here. So what I see potentially with this team, potentially, and some people, you know, I know some fans will go, oh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and, you know, a lot of ifs. And, yes, I agree with you. But this is what you have to hang your hat on right now. Trade market is is tough because everybody is dealing with a lot of injuries coming off the truncated season. So my point is, you are going to get Flaherty back at some point. That is going to happen. You're hopeful that Michaelis comes back at some point in August. You will get Harrison Bader back at some point, which puts Dylan Carlson in right field, Tommy Edmond at second. Then to your conundrum of, do you play Paul DeYoung or Amundo Sosa? That happens. You you get better all of a sudden. Then the organization has to make a choice of who we are and take a hard look at really in the mirror. Who are we? Do we go out and uh, try to supplement this team where our deficiencies are at? Could be a bullpen guy, could be a starter, could be a bat. All those things are on the table. Is Lars Newtbar somebody that we bring up for a jump start? Does he help us right now? And what having, does that mean for your 40-man roster? Who ends up leaving exactly. based on the fact that he comes up? Exactly. Um, we have to have an honest conversation. And maybe this conversation isn't even being had at this point because their whole mindset is, look, let's give these guys a full minor league season, which I would totally understand of uh, Thompson and Liberator and Nolan Gorman, who's tearing the ball off the, the cover off the ball down. I mean, all those things, you have to let it play out, which I understand it's in the moment. And when you're not playing well, you want to make adjustments immediately. I get that. But those are some of the things that you can hold your hat to and say, those are things that if we see it fall into place and we've been a good finishing team under Mike Schilt, maybe that happens with this team. And by the way, we're, we're in a division that no one is running away with. You know, I mean, the Cubs got pounded by the Marlins at home. How does that happen? Uh, Look at how the Milwaukee Brewers are using their bullpen. Does that really hold up for 162? It might. But, man, they're riding those guys hard. Does it happen? Could. Maybe. Maybe doesn't. You know what I mean? So a lot of things need to happen before this thing shakes out. The Cardinals have lost 16 to 24, whatever. Uh, They've lost a lot of games here in this 20-game stretch. And yet they're four games back of the division. Mm -hmm. And that's to your point, Dan. The rest of the division, somebody's got to take this thing and run with it. Otherwise, the Cardinals are going to still feel like they're in it. And nobody's done that so far. I don't know about you. I... I mean, convince me, BK. Do you see a team running away with this thing? I don't either. Especially, like, this was the chance. This last two-week stretch for the Cardinals was the chance for, whether it be the Brewers or the Cubs or even the Reds, whoever, right? Somebody could have ran with this thing over the last two weeks, and nobody did. I also want to respond to this one, Dan, from the 573. BK is the sky is falling kind of guy. He has no faith whatsoever in the Cardinals. I do think that's a little bit unfair for this reason. I'm the same guy that bet on the Cardinals before the season to win the World Series. Um, I was the one that said the Cardinals have the rotation to be able to make it through when a lot of people were questioning the depth. And I still believe this is a good team. And that's why when I'm watching what we're watching right now with the offense in particular, it's so frustrating for me as it is for so many of you because I believe in this lineup. I do think I do it's a pretty darn good lineup, but I, 
it's thin. There's not a lot of depth to it. They're, the bench, bench is could be it, supplemented. It, absolutely. That's the thing I see. But when I look at this lineup on a day-to-day basis, one through six, I feel pretty good about what they're putting out there. Let me ask you this, though. Here's what I've noticed in the last, um, I'd say, three weeks is when the two now Goldschmidt I'm seeing signs Arenado saw a sign yesterday with staying back on a ball because he's been way off balance way out in front that's why you see the pop-ups he is going to hit his track record has been there for almost a decade that he's going to hit and be an MVP candidate so he's in a bad rut that was no for 20 that he snapped when he hits he gives you a shot and I hate to put it all on two guys but you're paying them a lot of money they understand that, and they understand the responsibility of that, meaning that they expect, the team does, expects you to produce. They will hit, and when they do, it changes everything because then you're not nitpicking at, well, Sosa was 0 for 3 that day, and Tommy Edmonds not getting on base enough, and Dylan Carlson, well, that's a rookie. He's going to go up. The other two hit, all falls into place. Yeah, all those conversations we're having about right now with exactly. Paul Young and stuff, that kind of falls to the wayside a little bit because there's less pressure on those guys to perform. It's the conversation we've been having about the Cardinals for the last five years, really. It's not about what the number eight hole hitter is doing. The problem is you didn't have a three and four hole. That's right. And right now, the problem is that those guys that are there, I do believe in. I think they're great players. They are great players. They've got proven track records. They're just not hitting right now. Right. And... Goldschmidt, we've seen some signs. This month, he's been their best hitter. And I think that's going to continue moving forward. We've seen it in the past. As the season warms up, he starts to get hot. Arnado's the one that they've got to get back on track now. And they've got to get Edmund back on track. And it looked like there were signs of that over the weekend as well. If they can have at any point in time four guys going and two of them at the middle of the order, you feel pretty good about this lineup. No question. Coming up, we're going to visit with Doug Bear. He is a former world champion, longtime major leaguer, spent a lot of time in the big leagues with various teams, including the 1982 World Championship Cardinals. Came back in 85, I believe it was, for just a brief stint, but uh, knows all about St. Louis, Whitey Herzog. Should be fun to visit with Doug Bear. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Cardinals have an off day today, and they will be. In Detroit tomorrow at Comerica Park, and it's the Cardinals and the Tigers in interleague play, and a guy that knows about winning a World Series with both those teams and both those franchises. 1982 World Series winner of the St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Doug Bear. Hey, Doug, welcome back to uh, St. Louis. Thanks for jumping on the air with us, and uh, hopefully this finds you doing well. How you doing? I'm doing very well, and thank you for inviting me. You bet. Uh, where do we find you these days, and what are you up to? Well, I'm in Cincinnati. It's hot, humid, and uh, looks like we're going to have a little thunderstorm. Well, I'm look. You know what? I'm looking at the studios right now. It's hot. It's humid, and we've got uh, looks like thunderstorms here. So we know about those river cities, uh, as you well know. Oh about, yeah, about being the. <laughs> um, wanted to ask you about 1982, and and we had our reunion not too long ago of the 1982 World Championship Club. I'm Dan McLaughlin, by the way, and that's Brandon Kiley. Um, what comes to mind when you think of 1982 and being a part of that championship club? Actually, that was my first full season with St. Louis in 82. I had previously been with Cincinnati for four years, and Whitey Herzog 
traded for me with only two weeks to go in the 1981 season. So 1982 was my first full year, and it was kind of a dream come true, actually. When you look back at that time for you, what was that team like to be traded to it? I mean, you, you, I would imagine, knew the potential of what that team could ultimately be. What was it like when you arrived in St. Louis, and did it live up to all your expectations? Well, I had been a short relief pitcher here in Cincinnati, and my first game was in Montreal. So I traveled to Montreal to meet the ball club, and I was waiting in the lobby to get on the team bus to go to the ballpark, and Whitey approached me and said, Duggar, welcome to the ball club. I said, well, thanks, Whitey. It's uh, going to be a good year. And he said, well, he said, I know you've been doing the short relief pitching in Cincinnati. However, I'm paying Bruce Suter $1 million a year to be my short man. I said, you don't have to say anything else, Whitey. I said, I'll be the setup guy. (laughs) (laughs) But Whitey had a great feel for knowing how to to not only identify talent, but then put that talent in a situation to succeed, not only for the ball club, but for the individual. Would you agree with that? Yeah, wholeheartedly. He, uh, He set that ball club up, as I look back on it now in hindsight, to be a speed and a singles, and a doubles hitting ball club. And, of course, playing on that AstroTurf, um, it was set up perfectly because that the old ballpark was very large in dimensions as far as the home run fence is concerned. And in that particular year, by the way, we were last in the National League in home runs hit. I think we hit something like, I don't know, 72 or something. But... Um, he did it the right way, and he knew what it would take in order to manufacture runs. Doug Bear is our guest, part of the 1982 championship uh, club here in St. Louis, and you had the chance to pitch for two great managers. So you get Whitey Herzog, then you're reunited because you were with Sparky, and then you get him back in Detroit, and you win the world championship in 1984. How do you compare Whitey Herzog to Sparky Anderson? What, what were their traits that made them so great? Oh, I think, well, that's, that's a hard question to answer. They, they both had their way of managing ball clubs. Whitey was, uh, he was a guy that was going to use every single guy at that time on his 24-man roster. Everybody had a job. That's the reason he approached me in Montreal and let me know I was going to be the middleman. I had to do my job in order for the ball club to be successful um, Sparky Anderson, he had those, he had those guys, those eight guys, and then four or five pitchers, starting pitchers. That was the nucleus of his ball club. Don't get me wrong. He used bench players as well and bullpen as well. But he, at that particular time, especially in 84, everything clicked for him over there and everybody got a shot at doing a job and they did it well. Doug, when you look back to those 80s teams that you were on, especially here in St. Louis in 82, and then the team that you had a brief stint with in 85 as well, do you prefer that style of baseball, the speed, defense, contact? Do you prefer that style to what we're watching today? Well, baseball's changed quite a bit in the last 30, 35 years. 
And um, Whitey had a plan to generate those runs, as I said. And in that big ballpark, he knew that we weren't going to hit many home runs. So, indeed, he had a diagram of how he was going to do it. And um, as far as the starting pitching was concerned, he was he was a guy that would let a guy go six, seven innings, bring me in for the uh, seventh or eighth inning, and then Bruce in the eighth or ninth inning. But there was many games that the short relief pitcher, Bruce Souter, would pitch uh, three innings stint. So there's a, bit, there's a lot of different avenues that the game has gone through in uh, the past years that has changed the game. One of the things that hasn't changed, though, is that you'd love to have good defense. Cardinals have a very good defensive infield here in, in 2021, although we don't see it all the time because we see a lot of walks. But in 82, I've always said I think it might be the best infield defense the Cardinals have ever had in their franchise history. You had Obergfell at third. You got Ozzie Smith at uh, at short. You got Tommy Hur at second. You got Keith Hernandez, uh, one of the best fielding first baseman, if not the best ever in the game. So I'm sure Whitey put a premium on, hey, throw strikes, sink it, get ground balls, and you're going to be just fine. Well, we're on the Aston turf. That could help you or hurt you. We also, like you said, had an outstanding defensive infield. So putting the ball in play was paramount for the pitchers. Um, and we did that. We did that very well. And, I mean, you're going to get some arguments in baseball about whoever, whoever had the best infield, but you're right. That particular infield for that particular team in that particular ballpark was one of the best of all time. Doug, when you look back at your time in the bigs, who was the guy that when they came up to the plate, you were like, oh, my God, this guy again? This guy? Really? How am I going to get this guy out? Who was the guy that gave you the most trouble at the plate? Do you have any idea how many times I've been asked that question? <laughs> well, let me let me give you one guy. Andre Dawson, he was at that time playing with the Montreal Expos. And I might note that at that particular time, the Montreal Expos were an exciting, excellent ball club. They had some unbelievable personnel. But Andre, he was a guy that would would hit according to the count. Um, if you got two strikes on him, he became a singles hitter. And he was just a very, very tough out. Doug Bear is our guest, and, and Doug, my final question for you is, uh, as you reflect on your career, long Major League career, uh, what comes to mind when you think about playing for the St. Louis Cardinals? Well, St. Louis might have been one of the best franchises I ever played for, even though it was a somewhat of a short stint. They took care of their players. They would always ask us what the front office could do for us. Um, ownership was outstanding and I just can't say enough for the Cardinal franchise. And it was just first class from the time you walked into the clubhouse until the time you walked out. That's awesome. Super, 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 super franchise. 
Hey, Doug, thanks for hopping on. We appreciate it. We've got the Cardinals and the uh, the Tigers tomorrow, so we figured this would be the perfect uh, time to find out what Der- uh, Doug Bear was up to and catching up with a world champion, and really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you very much for asking. You got it. That's Doug Bear and uh, setup man and reliever for the 1982 uh, world champion St. Louis Cardinals. We had a reunion. I guess it was... Oh, it's been a while now, BK. Maybe it was in 2012, I guess. But it was great to see those guys come back, and um, and so many of them still watch the games. You you wouldn't believe the text that I get during the game of former players that are watching the game, including, let's say, Bruce Souter. Uh, for many years, it was Bob Gibson, who was not mm-hmm. part of the 1982 team, but generally speaking, of former players um, because they all care. You know, they all want to see the organization do well. And when it does well, I don't get as many texts. When they are not playing as well, I get a lot of texts. So, uh, Have you been getting a few texts lately, man? I've been, I've been getting a lot. Of, I mean, I'm just fielding texts during the, the breaks. I'm telling you, man. Um, but, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's, it's just he said something very interesting there, and it pertains to guys like Andy Bollier and Mark Walsh and Rip Rowan and – uh, longtime traveling secretary, uh, CJ Cherry, they, they've, they've had people in those spots. And I, I, you know, I don't mean to be going too far this way, but this is kind of pull back the curtain thing. They, the players, when they get here, they talk about, wow, we are treated so well. It's not just the fan base and having the amount of people that are at the ballpark every night, which is great. Cause a lot of guys come from, you know, situations where they just don't draw, but then it's behind the scenes. I mean, you're treated first class, man, and they they put a premium on doing that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm affiliated with the Cardinals. I've seen it for 25 years. It's amazing how well they treat their players. When people talk about culture, Dan, that's the kind of stuff they're talking about. And any time that you hear a, a coach hired at a new college football program or a baseball team, whatever right. it is, right? That's the first thing they're going to mention. We're going to have the we're going to rebuild the culture here in insert city X in St. Louis. It's about the culture from the top to the bottom. And that's the way that it really happens. Like you look at these professional franchises that have been consistent losers. A lot of it stems from the ownership group. Oh yeah. And so you look at what the ownership group is here in St. Louis, both for the blues and for the Cardinals, honestly, And that's where it all starts. It starts at the top, and they decide what that culture is going to be moving forward. And then it's up to the people that they hired to do those jobs. And the Cardinals have hired some really good ones. I think you have to look in sports right now. And I'm just talking about whether it's baseball, NHL too, certainly NBA. uh, Football a little different because it's everything is shared. But when you look at those other three sports, um, for a lot of those owners, it's, it's spreadsheets. You know what I mean? It's just another part of the portfolio where baseball for many years was a family-run business. And if you had a family that was fully invested like the DeWitts are, and believe me, Mr. DeWitt is fully invested. He's reading the minor league reports every single day, and you asked him about some obscure guy at A-ball, he knows who he is. Um, That's what you're talking about, is having a full understanding of what's going on, where other times, other owners, it's just a spreadsheet. It's just another part of a chance to make a lot of money. And that's a big difference in what you're talking about. And there's also a fine line there. Like for some of them, it's just a spreadsheet. They're not involved at all. There's others that are too involved. And so they then become like the de facto general manager. They're involved in the business side of operations. They're involved in the day-to-day in the clubhouse. And that can also be a problem. Now you've got somebody that's trying to run everything at all levels of the organization 
And that can also create some issues within the organization as well. So Look we at Colorado, have, for example. Yeah, for sure. So we have the DeWitts now, and prior to that, Gussie Bush was so involved. And when he brought in Whitey, he said, I, I want one more championship because he cared so much. And then if you go back into the 40s and those uh, owners that we have honored at the Cardinal Hall of Fame, they were fully invested into the team. So that makes a difference. And then sometimes you look at college and you get Eli Drinkowitz with his dad on a <laughs> jet ski like he had yesterday for Father's Day. God, I love that guy. He's awesome, isn't he? He's the best. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. around Major League Baseball on this Monday and what's happening. Well, to me, this is a massive day in the game as June 21st is hit, which means we didn't see this coming in spring training, BK. We didn't see this coming uh, a month ago, but we have it. And that means it's the official crackdown on foreign substances among pitchers in Major League Baseball. Buster Olney had a very interesting uh, report last night on ESPN.com saying that three teams have already said that they're going to request, if they see it, the umpires to check the opposition. Um, I think this puts the umpires in a very tough spot. I'm not sure how they're going to do it. I think that at times maybe they mess up and say, you know what, this guy's uh, spin rate is off the charts, and really the guy may have just rosin or something, and he's just very good. You don't know, but it's it's there's a gray area with it because it's... Now, if you're watching Sunday Night Baseball and you saw Alex Rodriguez kind of demonstrate, that's not a gray area. That's pretty easy to see that someone's using it, but um, I, I think this is going to be tough on the umpires, and I think they're kind of left in left field a little bit as to when to check, how to check, and how to go about this. And I'm also going to be curious to see, like, so I'm going to use an example that's football, and hopefully it relates back to baseball, and I hope people follow. In football, in the NFL, a lot of the times they will put in a new point of emphasis before the season. So See it for in college example, basketball all the time, too. Sure. For football, a lot of the time it's like defensive pass interference or defensive holding, these things that there's a gray area as to whether or not they should be calling these. And at the beginning of the season, when they make that a point of emphasis, you see a lot of it and they really crack down on it. And then as the season goes on, they typically kind of wane off a little bit. They're just trying to prove a point at the beginning of the year to players. Hey, ease off on this. Watch out. We are going to call it. And I wonder if that's the route that baseball will go with this, or if they will be a little bit more lenient in the beginnings to say, Hey, you got to stop. You can't do this. I'm going to give you a warning here. Chill out. Take that thing off of your glove, and the next time you come up, you better not have that or I'm going to throw you out. I don't know which way they're going to go, but I'll be interested to see if there's some discrepancies within umpiring crews or how, how this is going to go within individual games. So let me play devil's advocate. What happens, though, if it's not on the forearm or the pant leg or in the glove and all of a sudden that sticky stuff is on the fingers and they can't get it off? If, if they say, I mean, there was in the Sports Illustrated article, which I'm sure you read, yep. and, and for those of you that didn't, there was an unnamed baseball player that said he went through TSA. So he had pitched, he had showered, he had wiped his hands and washed them as hard as he could to get the stuff off. And TSA pulled him aside. And probably those that travel have had this happen where they they put the little swab on you and then take you and see if you're, you know, it's explosives. And it came up. And he's like, I can't get it off me. I can't get the stuff off my fingers. Um, that's where it's going to be tough is if guys are using some of that stuff and they come back out, it's like, 
look, man, you're out. You know, you, you got to go. And it's a 10-game suspension. It's a roster spot, the spot that's off the 26-man roster. You cannot replace it for 10 days. The player does get paid. But again, I think to the greater point is it's very tough, I think, for umpires to decipher you're asking them to kind of handle the dirty work of what's being done by players. And that's not an easy ask of the umpires. It's going to be tough. It's brutal. And I, they already have a difficult job. They have a lot going on uh, throughout the course of the game. And now this is one more thing that they're going to be adding on to their plates. I'm, I'm very curious. It starts tonight. I'm going to be glued in. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well to see how this thing goes, especially in the early going. So the Yankees making some history yesterday. This could be one, two, on the first. It's a triple play. They've done it again. Three times a charm, and the Yankees win two to one. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. That's how the game ended. The Cardinals, it's so odd to get a triple play. The Cardinals have not turned a triple play since I believe they were in Toronto in interleague play. So that's many years ago that they turned one. Uh, you may remember <clears throat> one of the final games of last year. Yachty's final bat of 2020 yeah. was a triple play turned on them. And I was thinking, man, that, that can't be the way this thing ends with Yachty. So it didn't. But that was the last time it was turned on them. So it's odd to have a triple play. But the Yankees here on June 21st have turned three this year. Kyle Schwarber is going off and he did so this weekend. That ball is drilled deep to left. Going back is Smith. It is out of here. See you off the top of the wall in later. Five home runs, by the way, over the weekend and three in one game. This is not what we needed. That is not the highlight that I wanted to hear, Dan. The Nationals are supposed to be going in the other direction. Exactly. Max Scherzer got hurt. They end up winning one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of their last eight games. They've got Scherzer expected to be on the mound for them tonight. That's a start I'm going to be watching for, certainly, no against Philadelphia. If they keep winning, Scherzer ain't going to be available. We need less of what we saw this weekend from uh, Schwarber. From that lineup in general, it's starting to get hot a little bit. It's crazy, too. He's batted leadoff. He's been in the middle of their lineup, and he's done what you would expect him to do. He's going to hit bombs. He's going to wind up hitting probably 35 to 40. And that's Kyle Schwarber in a nutshell. By the way, one guy to watch if they end up going south and the Cardinals want to make a big time move at the deadline. Like the Nationals, are a lot of guys that would be of interest for the Cardinals. Josh Harrison is one of them. If he becomes available at the deadline, he's a guy that has a really high on base percentage and the Cardinals have been slacking in that regard. So he could be of interest for them. I've always loved Josh Harrison. When he was with the Pirates, he was a two-time All-Star. He actually was drafted by the Chicago Cubs and Cubs felt like, okay, he's not an everyday player. He was out there for anybody to have. The Pirates gave him a chance to play every day and he became a terrific player for them. And now he's putting up good numbers for the Nationals and really taking the spot of a couple of guys that said, goodbye from their championship team uh, by the way a pitcher is leading in home runs in all of major league baseball Shohei it's a high fly ball to right center field We're not giving this enough credit. Shohei Otani with 23 home runs now. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. He's hitting the ball as hard as anybody in the game. He's also, which often gets overlooked, one of the fastest players in the game, too. What an incredible talent this guy is. And to be doing what he's doing, this was happening in New York or Chicago, probably gets more attention. I do think 
the national attention is there, but it's not as great as it might be if it was in a, a market that didn't play late on the West Coast. Guy's got 23 home runs. He's pitching every fifth day and dominating. It's an incredible story. Now he's going to be in the home run derby. That's going to be a hell of yes. a lot of fun to watch in Colorado. He's he's incredible, Dan. Everything that we were told that Shohei Otani would be is what he has now become. And it's so rare for that to happen. The guys that have all of that hype, like Wander Franco getting ready to make yes. his major league debut for the Tampa Bay Rays tomorrow. And we've been hearing about him for the last two, three, four years now in, in terms of the prospect rankings. I always go back to for baseball of recent note, Bryce Harper's kind of this guy for me where he was the poster child of high school superstardom. And then he basically has lived up to everything that he was billed to be for Shohei Otani to do that as well. It's there's a lot of pressure on guys like him. And he's he's been unbelievable, especially this season so far. Finally healthy. Yeah, that's the key. We had heard so much about him and heard about this great two way talent. And now it's all coming together and finally healthy, which is great for the game of baseball. I love it. I'm looking forward to Wander Franco making his debut with Tampa Bay. Isn't it crazy to say that Tampa Bay might be the best-run organization in the game? I mean, you you talk about Yankees and Cardinals and these teams that always make it into postseason play, but they've got more to draw from in terms of resources, and Tampa Bay finds a way. It's incredible. And they also are cold-hearted, and they are unafraid of making a trade that people see as being unpopular at the time. The Blake Snell trade, for example, that is not one that most organizations would do. And I wouldn't want my organization to be run the way that the Tampa Bay Rays are. It is obviously something that works. They win playing this way. And so if you just want to win, the bottom line is they've done a lot of that. I do not like the way they run their organization. I, I do agree. think there are times where they go cheap and they don't necessarily need to. I think they'd be better this year with Blake Snell, for example. Um, but... That being said, what they have done, it's proven to be very effective, and they've done a great job with it. So the Cardinals have an off day. We'll talk about the Cardinals and Detroit tomorrow. We'll preview that series. Andy Van Slyke, who is a longtime coach under Jim Leland with the Tigers, of course a great major league player here in St. Louis, lives in St. Louis. We'll talk it over with Andy tomorrow. You've got your show coming up the next three hours. We do. Uh, Alex Ferrario is out in Missouri, Las Vegas, so he's in Branson for the next ah. couple of days. Uh, he'll be back on Wednesday. We have Katie Wu joining us for the 11 o'clock hour. It's going to be me and Tanner Hendrickson flying solo for Love the 12 o'clock oh, hour. Baby. And then in the 1 o'clock hour, Jamie Rivers is going to stop by. We've got Brad Osmus, former Tigers manager at 11.30. So lots to get into. Katie Wu going to join us coming up here in just a few minutes. Have you asked you've had brad on before right yes we have have you asked him about uh edmonds making the catch in game seven i don't believe we've asked him about that we asked about the albert pujols home run okay um in the last time that we had him on and he said you could see him he basically turns to the umpire and immediately asked for another ball the moment that he heard the crack of the bat and then he was the one that told the story of uh, i think it was one of his teammates that was on the plane on the ride home made a made a joke as they were all kind of getting on and that's what kind of reset everything going into the next game so in game seven osmus at the plate supon on the mound jimmy edmonds this is part of that baseball savant stuff i talk about he knew how osmus would hit the pitch that supon threw so he wow. looked in to see exactly what was coming where the catcher was set up and jimmy actually started running towards his right into the gap in uh, left center to make the diving catch, which is a famous catch in Cardinals history, and it probably saved the pennant for St. Louis. Wow. It was off the bat of Brad Osmus. 
I'd be curious what he thought about For that. sure. That's interesting. Yeah. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.